case. Uh, there's a guy that sits over there. We haven't met in a while, man. And uh, I'm excited to be able to share that with you. Right. Over the passage, it's going to be in Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bible over to the version, you can do that. I have a testimony kind of that I was going to share as well, too, but in an effort to try to get you out of here in a decent amount of time, I skip all that. But if you ever want to talk to me about it, I'm more than happy to share it. Now, what God has done in my life and what He's currently doing. But uh, I want to jump right into the passage here in Proverbs 3 11 through 12. And uh, the title of this sermon is going to be uh, Smooth Roads and Potholes. And uh, before we jump into the text, I wanted to kind of give you a big picture view uh, to kind of zoom out as we look at the text and kind of have an idea of what we're looking at. And one of the questions I want us to think about uh, before we look at the text is. Just a general question, what are the Proverbs? Uh, if I were to ask you guys what Proverb, proverb was, I bet you'd probably tell me. So if I said, for instance, a bird in hand is worth two in the... If I said a rolling stone gathers no... I job was telling you, you guys apparently know what Proverbs are. Um, you might have heard of a story like uh, the ants in the grasshopper, where the ants work hard all summer to store up their food for winter. Grasshopper wastes away the summer. And when winter comes, he has to beg the grasshopper for food. Um, all of those sayings and those stories all fit within a genre of literature called wisdom literature. And wisdom literature essentially is just meant to teach us something, give us some truth, or give us some advice. So that's what Proverbs are. And I want to talk for a second about what makes these Proverbs special when we read through this book. There's three things that I think make them special. One, they're legit. They're the real deal. All right? How many of you guys have ever bought something that's a knockoff brand? Maybe, yeah, we've all experienced that. Maybe something like uh, those cell phone chargers that you can get from the dollar store. <coughs> Don't quite work like the ones that you get with the cell phone. Um, they might work for a bit, but they're not made by the same designer, and they're an imitation. Um, that's kind of the difference between the Proverbs that we're going to read and some of those sayings that I just told you. There might be some wisdom in those sayings, and they might uh, get you somewhere, but they're not the originals, and they don't come from the source of wisdom like these Proverbs. Proverbs 2, verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So when we read Proverbs, we should understand that these aren't just sayings that have been generally accepted as wise. In Scripture, the Proverbs that we read here are embedded by the Holy Spirit. They come from the source of all knowledge and understanding, which is God. The Proverbs are legit. The other thing that's special about these Proverbs, and just Proverbs in general, is that they're principles for life. They're not promises. They're never meant to be black and white, word-for-word instructions for how life will always be. They're not a crystal ball to see in the future. They're a compass. And when we follow their direction, they lead us towards wisdom. Last thing that I think makes them special is that they don't have an The author of Proverbs had no idea about the internet, cars, 
bank accounts. They didn't really need to because the things that they wrote about were things that we still struggle with today. Things like marital relationships, anger, power of words, relationships with our neighbors, how to manage your money. So as much as times have changed, the wisdom that we find in these Proverbs has and it's still good for you and me. So that's what Proverbs are, and these Proverbs in, uh, specifically are legit, the principles for life, they're not promises, and they don't expire. I think before we get into text two, I just wanted to say why I think they were all put together. Um, why would someone put this whole book of Proverbs all together? I think that when you read the book, when you go through the whole thing, there's a couple of themes that start to emerge. One of them being is this idea or this language that they use in Proverbs of a father teaching his son, of someone older teaching someone younger the wisdom that they've learned in life. You see all through Proverbs too that contrasting wisdom versus foolishness, righteousness versus versus wickedness. So when we read Proverbs, I think a helpful picture is this idea of a father and a son. And when I picture a picture of them standing together looking at a map of the son's life. And as the father looks at the son's life, he's pointing out markers on that map. My son, stay on these paths. These are the paths that are going to lead you to wisdom. These are the paths that are going to lead you, lead you to knowledge and blessing. And you see these roads over here, these shortcuts, they look like a shortcut, but they're not. They're going to lead you to ruin. They're going to wreck your life. Stay away from these paths. Most of us know what it's like to drive on a smooth road. It's one of those great feelings in life. Kind of like today, when you can roll down the windows, drive on a smooth road, wind in your face, maybe your favorite song on the radio. And Proverbs is like that feeling. It's something, it's like that smooth road. It's something that's going to make our lives better. Proverbs 12, 13 through 14 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and a profit better than gold. And in comparison, in Proverbs 4, 19, it says, The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Most of us have also experienced that feeling, that sensation where you hear a terrible crunch when you're driving. And you're pretty sure you just left the axle of your car in that four-foot-deep pothole that you didn't see coming. And Proverbs is also like that sign on the side of the road that says, Beware, there's potholes ahead. Watch out. So when we read these Proverbs, let's hear them for what they are. They're principles, they're not promises, but they're grounded in the source of all wisdom that points the way to smooth road, the path of wisdom, righteousness, and blessing. And they're also like that orange construction sign that's on the side of the road saying, potholes ahead, beware. They can wreck your life. Joe read the passage, and I'm going to read it again. It says in Proverbs 3, 11, 12, 11 through 12, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. And do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a father and son he delights in. Now I want to stop after those first two words, and if you're thinking in your head, oh boy, we're stopping after two words, this is going to take us a while. I'm sorry, but I have to stop. 
For the simple fact that when we hear God refer to us as his sons and daughters, that should always stop us in our tracks. Joe preached a few weeks ago about the blessing that it is to know that God doesn't come to us as a judge from our Christian, but as a father. And it's so true. Just listen to the difference between with a defendant, please stand, and my son. That first statement only has judgment behind it. While the second has an entire love story. If you're a Christian, every time you hear my son, it should remind you of the time that you were that defendant facing a judgment you knew you deserved. It should remind you of how God saw you could never hope to pay for your sins and had mercy on you and sent a son to take your punishment. My son should always remind you that God has adopted you into his family. And he loves you like his own child. My son should always stop us on tracks. But sometimes, despite knowing all that, it's still hard to hear my son. The authors of Proverbs purposely use this image of someone older and wiser, imparting wisdom to someone younger who needed that wisdom. And I remember being that younger person. Uh, I remember when my dad sat me down for the first time to give me advice about dating. And I thought, my dad is in his 50s. What can he possibly know about dating? <laughs> Sometimes it's hard when you're that, that younger person to recognize that you need wisdom. Mark Twain once said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> To really hear the wisdom in Proverbs, we have to be willing to say, I don't know it all. I don't have it all figured out. We have to have the humility to fess up to the fact that we are all foolish. And we all need God's wisdom. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So don't be a fool. Listen to this advice from your father. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke. Now, it might be at this point in this passage where you think, maybe this isn't the sermon I want to listen to. Maybe this is one of those passages that maybe we should just skip over. Because discipline, rebuke, doesn't really sound like much fun. Where's the stuff for the nice happy life? Where's that smooth road of wisdom? I'd like to read those passages, right? I promise that those two are actually connected. But we have to talk about discipline if we're going to see how. When we talk about discipline, we usually think about it in two ways. We say things like, he's a really disciplined athlete. And what we mean is maybe he goes to the gym every day, or he only eats protein shakes and veggies, or he sleeps seven hours a night. And that's one kind of discipline. But the other kind of discipline is the kind where we might all be a little more familiar with. Uh, The kind where uh, maybe your parents disciplined you as a child. Maybe your school, when you were in school, you got uh, put in detention. Maybe uh, even as a uh, worker, um, you received some discipline for being late to work or something you said to a coworker. We've all experienced that kind of discipline. And that's what this passage is referring to. That's the type of discipline this passage is talking about. Although the two aren't unrelated, 
Often discipline in the form of punishment can lead to more disciplined lives, right? If your parents ground you over and over and over again because you haven't done your homework, maybe eventually you'll start doing your homework to avoid that discipline. And the Bible definitely calls us to that first kind of discipline as well, too, elsewhere in Scripture. Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about the fact that we should try to run as athletes winning a prize, and we should discipline our bodies so that we can win that prize. And we kind of practiced that as a church a little bit when we went through Lent as well, too. We gave something up for 40 days. And maybe it was something big, maybe it was something small, but it took discipline to do that. So the Bible definitely calls us to live a disciplined life, and we need to practice that in our lives to get better at it. But the Bible also teaches all over in Scripture that if you're a Christian and you're living a Christian life, that you're going to experience that second type of discipline too. You're going to experience the rebuke, the reproval, the chastisement of God. To put it simply, if you're a Christian living the Christian life and you call God your Father, you're going to get your butt spanked. Why would God do that? Why would He hurt me if He loves me? I think we begin to see why when we see God as a Father. Just like a parent with a whole lot of unique and different children, if you look around, we are all unique and different, and God uses different types of discipline at different times. But we all need it. And there isn't a Christian here who can say, nah, I got this. I'm perfect. I don't need any discipline in my life. For each of us, though, it's going to look different. So let me give you three different ways I think that God uses discipline in my life. Number one, I think God uses discipline sometimes to get our attention. And maybe you're sitting up here and maybe you realize it, maybe you don't. But maybe you're about to wreck your life. Maybe you're headed in a direction you know you shouldn't go. Maybe you're like that child that's about to cross the street as a car comes speeding towards you. And God's discipline is to grab you and yank you out of the way of that car. Maybe you're like the driver not paying attention. And God's discipline is to grab that wheel and yank it so that you don't run into that pothole that's going to wreck your life. And what's our first response so often? Hey, I know how to drive a car. We're like the child. We grab our arm back and say, Ow, why would you hurt me? Well, the tractor trailer rolls by that would have turned us into a pancake. Listen to the wisdom of Proverbs. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke. Because what do we do when we despise that discipline of God and resent his rebuke? We say, I know what I'm doing. We're like the driver that keeps texting on their cell phone as they head towards the cliff. We're like the child that yanks our arm back and runs into the oncoming traffic. You can't tell me what to do. My son, don't despise my discipline. Let me lead you to a smooth place. Let me steer you around those topics. The second way I think God uses discipline in our lives is sometimes to grow our character. Maybe you're someone sitting in that pew and you can say, I'm honestly trying to follow that path of wisdom. I'm trying to find wisdom in Proverbs. Maybe you're like a child who's done everything they've been told to do. You're a straight-A student. And you're trying your best to follow the straight and narrow path. But all of a sudden you find yourself in the middle of something that's really painful. 
And you're asking God, what are you doing, God? I'm walking the path. Where are my smooth roads to walk on? Where are my blessings? This feels more like a hailstorm. I'm following the wisdom of Proverbs. Where are they? Where are my blessings? I think that sometimes, this is where being an American makes it hard to be a Christian sometimes. I think that it's so ingrained in us sometimes that blessings are something material or something that we think will make us happy. Perhaps somewhere along the way, we started believing that the right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness meant that nothing should ever be put above that. But you can tell that God is an American when you read Romans 5, verse 4. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our suffering, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here's some of God's wisdom that's really hard for us to hear. You ready? God cares more about your holiness than your happiness. Can I say that again? God cares more about making you holy than he does about making you happy. So what am I saying? Am I saying that God's discipline is a blessing in our lives sometimes? That just because you're walking on a path towards wisdom doesn't mean you won't suffer painful experiences along the way. Let me tell you the story. Um, when I came home from college, uh, I came home to watch both my wife's father and my own father fight a losing battle with cancer. And it was one of the most painful experiences in my life. At that point, I was going to a Bible college. I was hoping to serve God in full-time ministry. And yet here I was watching both our families hurting beyond belief. And I could have said, God, I'm done with your correction. I don't want any more of your discipline. I'm doing everything to serve you, to follow you, and this is how you bless me. And I'd be lying if I told you that those thoughts didn't cross my mind. But what I came to see was that as painful as those experiences were, and for however much I grieved the loss of a wonderful father, when I look back on it now, I see the hand of God blessing me in the midst of that grief and pain. Not with physical things or something that necessarily made me happy, but with perseverance, with character, with hope. Later, when some of my closest friends lost not one but two of their children before they were born, in an infinitesimally small way, because of my own experience with grieving, I knew some of the grief they were going through. I could sit and cry with them, recognizing that there's nothing that you can say to take away the hurt in that moment, but just to be there, to be the love of God in the midst of the hailstorm like he'd done through others for me. My son, listen to the Lord's discipline. Don't grow, grow, don't grow tired of his correction. Because he's not always trying to make you happy, he's trying to make you holy. Proverbs points us towards the smooth roads of wisdom, but that doesn't mean that there won't be hailstorms along the way. 
But if we listen to that wisdom, we'll be prepared for those storms. We'll have the most of tires on our heart. We'll have the right words that actually work. And we'll know who to put our faith in to get us through that storm. The last way I think that God uses discipline in our lives sometimes is to make us better. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like the child who's just going through the motions. The Christian who puts in the token effort just not to get by. You might say, going to church is important, just not important enough to miss the football game for. I'll serve God when it's convenient for me. Just don't ask me to put God at the top of my priorities. Don't ask me for all of my heart, all of my soul, all my strength, all my mind. There's a poem by Wilbur Reese called, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. And it goes like this. I would like to buy just a little of the Lord. Not enough to explode my soul and disturb my sleep. Not enough to take control of my life. I want just enough to equal a cup of warm milk. Just enough to ease some of the pain from my guilt. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. I would like to find a love that is pocket-sized. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beats with a migrant. Not enough to change my heart. I can only stand just enough to take to church when I have time. Just enough to equal a snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, but not a new birth. I would like to purchase a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. And if it doesn't work, I'd like to get my money back. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. I'd like to hide some for a rainy day. Not enough for people to see a change in me. Not enough to impose any responsibility. Just enough to make folks think I'm okay. Could I get just $3 worth of God, please? Sometimes God's discipline is to teach us that we can't just have $3 worth like Joe said in his sermon, when his kids come home with a grade that's less than they're capable of, he says, my son, my daughter, you're a marvel. You can do better than that. And it's too much. In the same way, when we become a child of God, a disciple of Jesus, and gain the right to call God our Father, when we slap that fish symbol on the back of our car, when we change our Facebook status or our religious views to Christian, we suddenly have a much higher standard to live to. Sometimes God uses discipline to transform us from that slacker kid, putting in the token effort, to way more than we even thought we were capable of. Sometimes he's like that coach who makes his player run su- players run suicides. And if you've ever played sports, you know that suicides are the worst drill. You're supposed to run them as hard as you can, 100%, nothing left held back. And you can't put in a token effort, or you run more. And like that coach, God uses those painful drills to build us into an athlete that runs to win the prize. Into a Christian that gives God everything we have. Because God expects all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our mind. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. 
and do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. God disciplines each of us in different ways. But what isn't different is his motivation for doing it. God disciplines you and me for the exact same reason as he delights us. And for some of us, that answer might make sense because we experienced it in our own lives. We had parents who, when they disciplined us, came from a place of love rather than anger. When I was a child, my parents demonstrated this in a great way. Whenever we did something bad enough to warrant a spanking, they'd send us to our room first. And I always thought that this was some sort of cruel and unusual punishment because the anticipation is worse than the actual spanking. But later I realized that what they were doing was giving themselves time to cool off. Because they didn't want their anger to be the reason why I was getting spanked. Eventually they'd come in, explain why I was getting spanked, and spank me on the bottom. And usually if it was my mom, it didn't hurt too bad. If it was my dad, it hurt a lot. But they would always spank me on the bottom. And it's a well-padded part of your body, your bottom. And they did that on purpose. Because the intention was never to hurt me, but to teach me something I needed to learn. And afterwards, they would always hug me and tell me that they loved me. You know when it's really hard to hear someone say that they love you? Right after they've spanked you. I can remember I didn't always want to be hugged as I was wiping away the tears. But I knew, without a shadow of a doubt, that my parents loved me even if it hurts sometimes. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and don't resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son, he delights in. For some of us, though, that answer may not make sense. You might have never experienced discipline like that or a very different type of discipline that didn't come from love, came from a place of anger. Or maybe you just experienced no discipline at all. You may have never had a father who sat down and said, My son, let me tell you how to live the right way. Or maybe you did and you had someone tell you all the wrong things. Now, if that's you and the idea that God's discipline comes from a place of love doesn't make any sense, I want to point you to a passage in Hebrews where the author actually unpacks the same passage in Proverbs in a little more detail. It's in Hebrews 12, verses 3 through 13. It says, For considering him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up, in struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly, or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. Furthermore, we have human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father's spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. 
No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. There's so much to unpack in those passages, but just real quick, we're going to point to three things. One, you might have never had a parent show you that discipline. But when we look at this passage, we have Jesus, who shows us what it means to never give up in fighting against sin. And God, unlike our earthly father, knows exactly what type of discipline we need. And if you've never experienced that, I want you to look at verses 12 and 13 again. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weaken knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. God doesn't do it to hurt us. He does it to heal us. He does it for our good. If you're sitting here and you're someone who feels like this sermon isn't for you, that your life is already too far gone, that Proverbs don't have any new tricks to teach you, or maybe you feel like your life has already gone off that track, that you've gone over the cliff and now you're left staring at the fractured pieces of your life, wondering how you could ever begin to pick them back up again. How does the church children's nursery run go? All the king's forces, all the king's men? Good to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. But what Humpty needed wasn't the king's forces or the king's men. He needed the king to come down from heaven and die on the cross. He needed a king who says, Behold, I make all things new. Praise God that because of the wisdom of God and the good news of the gospel, that there is no one that is too broken to fix. Because of what Jesus did, murderers turned into missionaries. Cowards turned into courageous fathers of the church. And if you think that you're too broken for God to fix, you need to have a long talk with a friend of Jesus named Lazarus. And if you doubt that Jesus would really do that for you, you have no better proof of his sincerity than at the foot of the cross. You see, people can say that they care about you all that they want, but what really matters is what they do. And every time we come to church and we hear the words, this is my body broken for you, this is my blood poured out for you, we're reminded that everything that Jesus said, he backed up with what he did. God wants to steer you back to the smooth road. Even if that means climbing up a cliff to get there. And I'm not saying that it's easy, and you might never get back to where you were but praise God that he doesn't call us to win the race, just to run as if we're trying to. Maybe you're already on that path of wisdom, and that's good. Proverbs is for you too. It reminds us to stay there. Avoid those pitfalls. Don't go off the cliff. But also realize that it isn't by your own ability that you're there. Don't let the sin of pride ensnare you into thinking that it's something that you deserve. But somehow you are more deserving of God's grace. It's easy to look over the edge of the cliff in someone's life that's a train wreck and say to yourself, some people never learn. It's easy to feel like the hand working hard all summer and to look at the cricket and say, he gets what he deserves. 
But the truth of the gospel is that no matter how hard you and I work, we would have never deserved God's grace. Don't fall for that false pride. We should be the first to stop, to go in God, to offer the hand of those who signed to erect. Let me end with this. Do you want your life to be on the smooth road? Do you want to avoid the potholes that can wreck your life? Listen to the wisdom of Proverbs. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do we want to share in God's holiness? Do we want the peaceful fruit of righteousness? Then let us not despise the Lord's discipline or resent his rebuke. Because he loves you as his child, and his discipline is for your good. We pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can call you our Father. And God, I don't pray for your discipline, but I know that we will all receive it sooner or later. And I pray that when we do, we won't go tired of it. That we would be thankful for a Father who loves us enough to experience. A Father who loves us enough to heal us. Thank you, God, for your love. In Jesus' name.